The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Can't believe it's already been a week since we had the first day of the 2021 NFL Draft. It is Thursday. It is PFTPM. The good news for you and I and for the audience, Miles, is that the we only have a half hour today of us talking. The final half hour is mainly Eric DaCosta, the Ravens GM. So, you know, that that's the best thing about doing these post-draft GM and player interviews. I get them in the can. It makes for a shorter show. It means the co-hosts have to deal with me less. So everyone wins. Mike, I think that that's just a cover for you basically saying that you don't want to talk to me for a full hour, but too bad because I'm on the show again tomorrow. Well, tomorrow is an important <laughs> day in my weekly ritual because I am a man of routine. I'm a man of habit, and I would not be able to function if I wasn't able to say tomorrow that we are one week closer to death. So I'm very much looking forward to officially being one week closer to death. We are not quite there yet. We do have a lot to get to in the limited time we have because of the DeCost interview. And I'm telling you, I mean, I'd like to think that all the interviews we do are good. This is a very loose and candid and talkative NFL general manager. You will learn some things about the way the draft works, about the way teams think, about the way teams operate. it's, It's worth your time, even though I'm involved in it. All right, let's get to it. The Aaron Rodgers situation, uh, look, it, it's going to continue to be at or near the top of what we talk about, Miles, until it gets resolved. Now, one thing I've noticed moving possibly toward as it relates to this is it looks like guys who know him and who have talked to him whether it's John Kuhn, the former fullback of the Packers, or James Jones, the former receiver who played with Rodgers and the Packers. They're potentially serving as surrogates to get out this idea that this is all fixable and it's all overblown. And this may be the beginnings of the Aaron Rodgers backpedal. And an effort, if he doesn't get what he wants by way of a trade, to show up and play for Green Bay for another year. Because they really do have him in a box. And this gets to the point that Sims and I started making yesterday morning, Miles. You and I haven't had a chance to talk about this directly. The idea that, from the Packers' perspective, if this guy wants to retire, so be it. So be it. We'll take back $30 million that you have already been paid. We'll avoid giving you $14.7 million in salary this year. And so be it. Fine. You don't want to play? Fine. Uh, and maybe that's actually better for the people who run the team than it is to trade him because no matter how many draft picks you get, Aaron Rodgers is still going to play for someone else and make you look bad for moving on from him. Maybe by winning a Super Bowl and matching the number he won in 16 years with the Packers. Or maybe by winning two. Or maybe after two or three years, 
the team that he's playing for releases him and he ends up with the Vikings or the Bears or the Lions. Not that that's unprecedented as it relates to a former Packers quarterback. So I think he's starting to realize that, number one, they're not going to budge. Number two, they may prefer retirement to trading him. So, number three, he needs to find a way that he can moonwalk his way right back into Lambeau Field. And I think that the stuff from Kuhn and Jones possibly is that that signal that that's what may happen. Sure. And look, if that's the case, then great. But, you know, I, I think you're right that essentially these guys seem to be functioning as surrogates. And it's almost like, you know, you're tuning into cable news and you're watching somebody talk for a politician. It's a little bit weird when it comes to an athlete, especially when that athlete has plenty of platforms to go on and just speak for himself. Right. I think, you know, Mike, you've been saying this, I think, for the last week that we probably need to hear directly from Aaron Rodgers. And I think that that would probably clear a lot of these different things up that people are saying, you know, whether it's man, does uh, Aaron Rodgers want to get the GM fired? And now it seems like, oh, you know, this thing is going to back off a little bit because uh, that's what James Jones is saying. And that's what John Kuhn's saying. It's not really about all of that. It's more that Aaron Rodgers has issues. Yes, but they are fixable. If that's the case, let's hear from Aaron Rodgers. Let's hear him say it. And I think that that would be very valuable for everybody involved because if he really does want to get back with the Packers, Mike, then that's going to be a good avenue to try to make that happen. Or if he realizes that he has to be back with the Packers, then him saying something, anything, is probably going to be able to help that. And if he keeps his mouth shut and the surrogates continue to periodically say what they're saying for as long as media will be seeking them out, then when Rodgers does show up, he can just kind of shrug and that kind of loose, calm. Yeah, you know, there's always things that we discuss and there's always disagreements that you have in a relationship that lasts this long. And you know, I think the media made too much of it and kind of like what he and did. Stop listening, two stop days listening after to Mike first, Yeah. Don't waste your time reading that crap. But yes, exactly. the last time this this fire started, he put it out two days later. I just think that he's he's put himself in a weird kind of a spot here and maybe it'll die down. Maybe, maybe it, it, at some point we turn the page at some point, something else is going to happen that is going to capture our attention. And at that point, maybe this just fizzles out until he shows up for off season workouts, OTAs, mandatory mini camp, you know, within the next month or so, we'll know whether or not he's taking an aggressive posture we don't have to wait for training camp mandatory minicamp if he's not there that's our sign that something's going on so I just think and I know that people in the media that I trust that I've spoken to about this and we kind of kick around ideas there is a sense that he's just going to act like this is no big deal once he realizes he's in a corner and he's not willing to write a check for 30 million dollars and give up football before he's ready to give up football if the choices are play for us, play for no one, he's going to play for us. He's not going to go home, take his football, and give back nearly $30 million to Green Bay Packers Incorporated because they'll happily take it. And I think you could argue it is better to get the $30 million and not have him play than it is to get the draft picks, not get the $30 million, and have to watch him play and worry about what he's going to do and worry he's going to end up back in the NFC North. Miles. And, you know, another piece of evidence in this regard, I know it's not on the rundown, but I want to mention it. 
Shefty trying to walk back the idea that he got the information last Thursday. Uh, it's claiming that he already had it when his tweet and his story both said the league and team, team sources told me on Thursday or whatever. Well, I, it's, look, there, there's an effort, a broader effort, I think, to make Aaron Rodgers look better than the situation to date has made him look. And whether it's Kuhn's comments, whether it's Jones' comments, whether it's Shefty trying to make his report seem like something other than what it was, you know, a, a, an effort by Rodgers and his camp to get this out on draft day, which I firmly believe th- this is all setting the stage for Rodgers to kind of do the, what's the big deal? Yeah, it, it is. But I, I think we can even go back to uh, Saturday at the Kentucky Derby when Mike Tirico said that he spoke to Aaron Rodgers and Aaron said that he or he uh, Tirico characterized him as being disappointed that the story had gotten out in that way, right? I, I think all of this sort of seems to uh, go into that, that 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 thought that Aaron Rodgers wants to be thought of in a good light at least by Packers fans, because of course you remember Tariko even said that Aaron Rodgers emphasized how much he loves the Packers fans and how much he's loved his experience playing in Green Bay and things like that. So again, I, I think that with all of the different avenues that there are for players to say what it is that they want to say in these days, all Aaron Rodgers has to do is like turn on his phone and make a two minute video, right? JJ Watt did that when the Texans released him and you can look at any YouTube star in the world, Right? All they do is they turn on their video for about five minutes and then they say whatever it is they want to say. So it's not like Aaron has to go to some news outlet and say, hey, I want to do an interview. Now, he can do whatever he wants to do on his own and in his own time. I just I, I feel like at this point, if he really wants to tamper things down and turn the temperature down on these things, just say it. Yeah. And, and that that video, if he would make one, would have a couple of million views just like. That And again, Tariko also said there is a fissure, there is a chasm between Rodgers and the front office. There was a fissure and a chasm between Jared Goff and the Rams front office. It was resolved by trading him to the Detroit Lions. Let's hear a little bit from Jared Goff meeting with reporters today regarding, among other things, the fact that the Lions didn't draft his eventual replacement. Did you have any assurances that they were not going to go in the direction of quarterback this year? Um, yeah, we had some talks, uh, before the draft and, um, I, I, again, I think it's a, it's a nice vote of confidence, obviously for me. And, um, I think what's not lost on me is, is that their first move is, as, as a staff with Brad and Dan was involved me. So I, I, it's exciting and, and it makes you feel good. And I know a big thing that everybody was talking about was the, them not going in the direction of getting a wide receiver a lot earlier. How did you feel once they went ahead and got on my mom? Yeah, really excited for Amon. I, I, I was excited when I saw his name come off the board for us. Um, I've seen him just being a, a fan of the Pac-12. I've seen him over the years uh, play there. I know he went to modern day as well. Um, but just see, seeing him play over the years, always been a fan of his. And um, hopefully he can get some work soon and, and, and really see him in person. I, I'm just curious what your reaction was to the to the Sewell pick. You got the reg now extension today. Obviously, Taylor's back, Jones is back. I mean, d- just what are your thoughts on those big fellas up, up front? Yeah, fired up, fired up. When when I saw we took Panay, I know I know the staff was fired up, and, and so was I. Obviously, as a quarterback, anytime you get help up front, that's always good. Um, but yeah, we we got we got a lot of solid guys up there right now, and I think 
Um, it's shaping up to hopefully be one of the top groups in the league. There's obviously a lot of work to do, and, and I know they know that, but um, there's a lot of good players up there right now, and as a quarterback, that's your best friend. So I'm excited for it. What a crazy league that we see Jared Goff as the quarterback of the Lions. It Man, really is amazing me. how much the game can change, right? Oh, my goodness. I mean, I was – I mean, we don't need to make this about me, and it's not. But, I mean, I was there when – covering the Rams, when the Rams moved to L.A., traded up for Jared Goff and all the hullabaloo that went into that. And now to see him playing quarterback for the Lions, it is, it is weird. I'll tell you, man, it's really weird. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We're going to play a game of what happens first when we return. Plus, there's an update in this NFL, NFLPA back and forth over offseason workouts that I want to update you on. We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. All right, a little game of what happens first on this Thursday edition of PFTPM. Reminder, we've got Eric DaCosta coming up in about 15 minutes or so. What happens first? Three of the quarterbacks taken in round one last Thursday night. Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones. Who starts first? I think it's Trey Lance. And it's funny because there are arguments to be made for all three of those guys. But I feel like with Trey Lance... He'll probably start first, A, because he was picked first, B, because the 49ers had to give up so much to go get him, and then also because you've got a QB that would be in front of him in Jimmy Garoppolo that's scheduled to make about $25 million. Most of that is not guaranteed. So even though Jed York is saying, yeah, we're willing to pay that, and you know, if Trey Lance doesn't start for another couple of years, we're okay with that, I, I don't know how much I believe that. I just feel like, there's going to be either internal, external pressure, whatever it is, to see Trey Lance to show that they got it right. And I think Trey Lance will start first with those guys. I agree with you. And I feel like the heart of the 49ers try to convince us that they really would keep Jimmy Garoppolo for two years and make a $50 million investment, i.e. the money that they will pay Garoppolo in allowing Lance to develop after you gave up all that to go get him. I just don't see it happening now. I, I think I, I'm going to agree with you and say, Lance, I thought about Fields, but remember when they did this four years ago with Trubisky and Mike Glennon was the starter, Glennon actually did start the first four games, but I think there's a, ch- a good chance Justin Fields is the week one starter because they gave up a lot to move up to get Justin Fields, and if Fields can't beat out Andy Dalton, what the hell were you doing giving up all that to go get him? The one guy that I don't think will start week one is Mac Jones. I think it'll be Cam Newton. Barring some sort of an injury, I think Mac Jones will be on the bench. All right, Sam Darnold in Carolina or Zach Wilson, his replacement in New York, wins a division title. What happens first? Uh, I would say Zach Wilson, mainly because I'm not sure that Sam Darnold is going to be a starting quarterback after this year. And who knows where he's going to be because it might not be in Carolina. Look, I think Carolina is really on this huge quest to get a franchise quarterback. And we don't know if Sam Darnold's going to be that guy. He certainly could be. But I think it's worth noting that he still had the worst passer rating among the 35 qualified passers out of the entire league okay so that's worse than Carson Wentz and Drew Locke and Cam Newton and all these guys that we said were not good passers Nick Mullins is even on that list so I just feel like by virtue of elimination of Sam Darnold it's probably going to be Zach Wilson but that division obviously is very tough Mike I think you 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 make a good point and Sam Darnold is only going to win a division 
most likely, in 2022 if the team that he signs to serve as a backup wins the division because Panthers, Buccaneers, Saints, Falcons, going to be a hard time even if the Panthers are better than they were last year. So Zach Wilson, we know, is going to have multiple opportunities with the Jets, although who knows, maybe at the end of the day it will only be three, just like it was for Sam Darnold. All right, what happens first, Tom Brady retires or Aaron Rodgers retires? I love this question because, like, if you had asked me this a year ago, I would have said, obviously, Tom Brady. But now, man, I don't know. <laughs> I think I probably think that it will be Tom Brady. But, like, at this point, I'm not putting playing past, like, 50 past Tom Brady. I, I don't know what he's going to do. He just seems to defy all logic and all sense of father time. So, you know what? I'm going to go weird, and I'm just going to say Aaron Rodgers. Why not? Um, I still think it's going to be Brady. And I think at some point, Father Time is going to whack him over the head with that giant hourglass of his. It's inevitable. And I think it's going to happen before Aaron Rodgers calls it quits. And I could see Aaron Rodgers playing deeper into his 40s than he otherwise would have if he ends up with another team just to continue to stick it to the Packers. And, and Rodgers is, what, six years younger? So yeah, just about. that fact alone makes me think that Rodgers will outlast Brady and that Brady will retire first. All right, a piece of news that uh, that updates the story we spent a lot of time on this morning on PFT Live, the NFL's memo from last night, making it clear to all the teams, not that the NFL needed to, that players who work out away from the facility, even if they're working out to stay in football shape, if they get injured and it's serious, the team doesn't have to pay them. That, in my estimation, was a middle finger to the union because the union's been agitating for players to not work out at the team facility. And it was a message to the players, hey, you better work out at the team facility. And if you do, you're covered. Your surgery gets paid for. You get your salary. You have other benefits available to you. So Tom Pelissero of NFL Media, and it's interesting that they would leak this to a guy who works for the league, but... Tom Pelissero of NFL Media has a memo that was sent to the players today. They met with Board of Player Representatives yesterday, and from the phone call, there were some highlights. And the one that really stands out to me is that, uh, and, and I'm going to read this directly from the email. We discussed the NFL's memo relating to the injury suffered by one of our brothers this week. The NFL has never, ever sent such a memo about voluntary workouts, which is confirmation that your position is both right and effective. It was gutless to use a player's serious injury as a scare tactic to get you to come running back to these workouts. This memo is yet another sign of what they think of you and also affirms that they simply want to control you year-round in any and every way that they can. That, that is a lot of huff and puff. They ain't going to blow anybody's house down with it, though, because here's the bottom line. Juwan James, if he would have suffered a torn Achilles tendon, at the team facility, we wouldn't be having this conversation. He'd get his $10 million. He'd be eligible for all of the other benefits that become available. Now, they say in this memo, we've been in touch with Juwan James. Despite the ongoing threat, or the open threat of an NFI designation, Juwan was working out to stay in shape under a program recommended to him by his coach. I don't care about that. You're not working out at the team facility. you got to be working out at the team facility. You, what, they're going to argue that because he was doing what the coach said you should do at home – that that somehow, that somehow counts as being at an extension of the team facility? I, I don't get it. And if that's their point, that should have been the lead of the memo, not buried near the bottom of it. I, I don't think there's an argument to be made 
that Juwan James is not going to be at risk of losing, at serious risk of losing that money. So, look, they got to do what they got to do. I get it. They staked out a difficult position that never made much sense to me. And, and now that they, they, they can, the only reaction is, you know what they say in the law, when the law, when, or when the law's on your side, pound on the law. When the facts are on your side, pound on the facts. When neither's on your side, pound on the table. This is just some pounding on the table by the union because I don't think there's anything else they can really say. Well, right. And I think you wrote this, Mike, that there's precedent for what this situation is. It goes all the way back to 1977. So it's not like this is something that is brand new for the players, for the union, for teams, for contracts, in any situation like that. So, and even so, you know, you want to talk about what was collectively bargained, and that's the off-season program, the voluntary off-season program, that guys do not have to go to, all right? So that is just what that is. But I think if you're talking about injury protections, like I said, it, this is not something that's new. So it's really interesting to me just how this is going to play out between the league and the union, because it, it's, it feels like it's a battle that the union can't really win. And I always talk about this, like, you know, you've got to pick battles that you can win. And I don't know what winning looks like for the PA in this particular case. I, I just don't know how they're going to get there, Mike. And, and look, I have always supported player causes and it always upsets me that fans will align with the billionaires over the players whenever something like this goes down when there's a potential work stoppage when there's a fight and we have highlighted in the past situations where the union has caught the league with its hand in the cookie jar on certain calculations and i i, I i've got a clear record of supporting the players and i'm easy to find if, if there really is an argument to be made that juan james is going to get his money tell me Get, get, come on record. Come on the show. I, they, 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 I, I know those folks. And I, I just I think this was an opportunity by players who are in positions of union leadership to vent their frustrations about what happened last year. And the miscalculation was made that this was harmless. It's not harmless when a guy blows out an Achilles tendon and he's going to be out $10 million or more. For 2021 and may end up never playing again in the NFL because the Broncos are likely going to say we void your guarantees see you later and we move on we're going to move on just for a minute or two when we return we're going to talk about some of our all-time favorite NFL press conferences and there's a reason for that there's an opening there's a segue you'll see that and then we'll tell you what we think of our favorite NFL press conferences right after this The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. 
With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. You sum up the day. Yeah, honestly, just felt like we got behind early. After the milk spill and the marker on the wall, we just felt like we were playing catch up the rest of the day. Right before you went to the store, you called a timeout. Was there an attitude change after that? Yeah, it felt like we were losing our heads there for a minute, so we wanted to just calm things down and uh, get back to the basics. Did you ever find your keys? No. No, no idea where they are. You gave them a snack half hour before dinner. Was that planned? No. I lost track of time. Was Just wasn't thinking. And so... You know, three bites of dinner, that's on me. It didn't look like you had many answers to the double team. Is that a question? I I thought I'm thinking, wait, what what team is that? That's a dad <laughs> with a press conference answering questions about some of his parenting choices. That that could get very interesting, especially if those questions were ever posed of me. That's for damn sure. Um so uh uh, that's very good. That's very good. Very well done. We have to go find that and watch the whole thing. So that is the inspiration for a little fun we're going to have now. Our favorite all-time NFL press conferences. Miles, I'll give you the honors. Okay, well, this one comes from Derek Anderson, who was a quarterback that I watched growing up with the Browns. He was really one of the only quarterbacks who had a good season with the Browns when I was young in 2007. But when he went to the Arizona Cardinals... He played in a Monday night football game and the cameras caught him laughing on the sideline. And after the game, he had a very interesting reaction to being questioned about it. You think this is funny? I take this serious. I'm not I'm real just, serious. I, t- I put my heart and soul into this every single week. All I'm saying is the camera shows. I'm you just laughing. telling you right now what I do every single week. Every single week. I put my freaking heart and soul into this. I study my ass off. I don't go out there and laugh. It's not funny. Nothing's funny to me. I don't want to go out there and get embarrassed on Monday Night Football in front of everybody. That was good. That was very good, and I remember that. I remember the night that happened. Guy's intense. I've had to mute him on Twitter. He came at me a couple times, and the best approach in situations like that is that that mute mute button is powerful because they don't know. They don't know that you don't see what they're saying. They can say whatever they want. It is the the social media la-la-la not listening. I love it. All right. Um... This one is extremely obscure. It has never been appreciated the way that it should. I take you back to the late 80s, possibly the early 90s. There was a guy named Jerry Burns who was the head coach of the Minnesota Vikings. He's still alive, I think. We used to call him Bedhead Burnsy among our unofficial group of Vikings fans because he always looked like he had rolled right out of bed. Here he is, cursing like a sailor. Roll the footage. I don't like to name names after a fucking after a fucking game, but we we can't we can't be responsible for the blocking. We can't be responsible for the guys jumping offside. We can't be responsible for. We get down there and and uh, and it was a dumb play by by Anderson. I love I love Anderson, but it was a dumb fucking play when he had when his foot was uh, shoe was coming off up the line screen. We were hard take timeout. We had a fucking trap play called and and, and his, his fucking shoe comes off. Uh, that's just part of it. Go to YouTube. Go to YouTube. Type in Jerry Burns. Jerry with a J, just like Seinfeld, and you will get to enjoy the full thing. And you, you, there's a rabbit hole out there of some coach interactions with reporters that 
haven't been widely appreciated. Jim Moore has been involved in a couple, shockingly. He's got a couple of the all-time great press conferences that we omitted because we've seen them, we've appreciated them. But, Miles, Jerry Burns, just just beautiful, beautiful stuff. And I had no idea he had that side to him because nobody really paid attention. It was pre-internet. It was, you know, didn't know he was that fiery, very fiery if you watched that whole video. Imagine if a head coach started doing that today, man, right after a game. Boy, that would be awesome because the thing gets streamed everywhere. All these teams just stream their press conferences. I don't know what they would do. They'd hit the live view. Oh, my God, cut them off, cut them off. Oh, it would be fantastic. Yeah, and uh, th- that's right. It's not like you can you can do the live seven-second delay. That never works. I don't care how good you are, especially when he's going machine gun F-bomb. You just keep your <laughs> finger on that button until he stops talking. The whole thing's bleeped. It's worse than Sims, for crying out loud. Uh, all right. Um, are we out of time? We got to go. I heard five. Is that five? Oh, 30 seconds. I, I misheard. Speaking of things that were bleeped, I thought we were out of time because, see, when we have these interviews in the can, we have to be seamless. We have to land the plane, Miles, and I almost crashed the plane into a mountain. Well, that was very inside baseball, Mike. But, yeah, now you just have basically given away the whole jig. You know? So now you have to really nail this countdown so that when we get off the air, it's fine. And here's the key. There is no interview tomorrow, which means you will have to deal with me for a full hour when we return for PFTPM at 5 Eastern on Friday. For now, we shut up. Here's Eric Costa, Ravens general manager. Have a great evening. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Joining us now, general manager of the Baltimore Ravens and the Sporting News Executive of the Year for 2020. He is Eric DaCosta. Eric, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing great. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And, you know, every once in a while when I do one of these interviews, I actually take a second or two to do some research. And I realized that you have been with the Ravens for 25 years. That is unheard of in this business. How in the world have you stayed 
in one place in the NFL where everybody's always moving around? How have you done it for 25 years? I try to be nice to people, Mike. <laughs> now, it's been a great run. I've been fortunate to have a lot of great people working here, coaches and scouts, tremendous ownership over the years, and it's just a great place to work, so I've never wanted to leave. Plus, my wife is from here, so she's never let me leave. But it's nearly half your life, and it's the first job you took in the NFL. What was your mindset when you started? Because you're walking into a business where – everybody's always moving around after a year or two. There's an opportunity somewhere else or you're asked to leave or whatever the case may be. When you started, did you have any inkling that you were going to put down roots? And off I'd be. And, and one of the great pieces of advice that somebody gave me a long time ago was understand what everybody else is doing, what their jobs are in the organization. And so early on, I tried to understand what the equipment managers did and the trainers and the PR people and the community relations people and uh, and I think that's been a secret of my success. And, you know, one of the realities now that we're the old guys and we can impart advice to others is that willingness and that drive and that determination early on to pay your dues, to bust your ass, to prove yourself that way. No one's going to install you in a big job when you walk through the door. You got to earn it. And one way that you prove that you earn it, in addition to being nice to everybody, and not pissing anyone off and not having people there who want to get rid of you is you work hard and people notice hard work. You don't have to go tell everybody, Hey, look how hard I'm working. They notice that you're working hard. Yeah, I think that's true, Mike. And then I also think that a little success breeds continuity. And one of the things that I think people would admire about the Ravens is the fact that we've been able to sustain continuity for so long with only two general managers and three head coaches uh, that makes a big difference in organizations at any level, and I think that's something that's quietly made us a very good organization. Well, and, and I think you're right. You know, it's easy for other teams to want to emulate franchises like the Ravens and the Steelers and have continuity and stability. It's easy to do it if you continue to be successful because then you never hit that stretch where maybe ownership is bowing to pressure from fans to make a change. And it is amazing that when you consider it, two of the models of consistency – in the entire league or in the same division, battling with each other every year, yet both have been good enough that you can enjoy that consistency and stability for a period of decades. That's true. And, and I think you have to have a lot of admiration for uh, the Rooney family and the Bashadis, Steve, uh, as well, for being patient and understanding the challenges, unique challenges in this business. In that, uh, you know, sometimes it takes time to build something that will long term sustain. All right, now that the draft is over, we've had a week since round one. What grade would you give the Baltimore Ravens 2021 draft? I'd probably give them a, a C plus, B, you know, B. I mean, nobody really knows, Mike. Um, you know, some of the best drafts I thought we ever had ended up probably being some of the worst drafts we ever had. And then on the flip side of that, you know, you'll have a draft that uh, – looks like you know average on paper but then as you go back and look at it four or five years down the road um you just can't believe how lucky you got so there's so many factors that go into a draft one of the biggest things is just players staying healthy and getting a chance to play you know durability is a critical thing for players and uh guys that stay healthy and play usually end up playing pretty well and contributing and then sometimes you take a guy as you know you've seen it a million times a guy gets picked pretty high and the first thing that happens to him in training camp is he gets hurt 
and uh, that doesn't bode well for your draft class. Isn't it amazing, though, that with all the money and the resources and the analytics and the formulas and the different technologies and devices available, we're still no closer to cracking the code on finding the guys in round one that everyone believes and that, well, everyone does believe going in that they're going to be great, but they actually become great. It, it still seems like it's the most elusive quality in the NFL, connecting any type of certainty between the pick you make and whether or not that guy's going to end up being a good player. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that's, it's really based on three different things. It's based on the evaluation of the player as a player. It's based on the, the player as a person. And also, as I alluded to earlier, the injury component. And so those three things usually conspire to, uh, you know, help your determination of the player. And, and so a lot of times, you know, we can watch the tape and we can say, oh, this guy's a really talented player, but maybe we don't understand his drivers or motivations uh, as a person. And sometimes, again, we might say this guy is wired the right way. He's a very good player, but he can't stay healthy. On the flip side of that, sometimes you get a guy that on tape looks like an average player and has the mentality, uh, the uh, personality to really succeed. And those guys usually overachieve. Those are the guys that go in the fourth, fifth round. And people say, how did that guy fall so, so far? You know, two or three years later, well, it's usually because there's something special about him and his personality that enables him to overachieve and become a better player than most people think. I'm a firm believer, too, in the reality that for some guys, the indignity of going later than what they thought they would go lights a fire that might not otherwise have been there if they'd gone in the first round, if they hadn't been the 199th pick in the draft, or just like with receivers. I think if you fall to round two, you got a potential Michael Thomas motivation where that never is going to go out. That fire isn't going to be extinguished. Is that real? Do you see that? Yeah, we see that even in the in the phone calls that we make to these guys when we draft them. So there's really three different types of phone calls. There's the guy you call who expected to be picked. There's the guy that you call who just he's so overcome with emotion because he, he can't believe he's gotten this far and he's he can't he's just so happy to even be picked. And then there's the third class of player that's kind of pissed off, quite honestly, that they didn't go higher than they should have been. And we had a few of those this year, too. They're a little bit surly. They're a little bit sullen. They're a little bit short with you on the phone. They're very happy and relieved, but they're not over the top ecstatic or emotional because they wanted to be picked higher than they were picked. I never thought of that aspect of it's almost a shoot the messenger type thing. You're the team that is ending the slide, but they're mad because you're the first one they get a chance to vent toward. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that, I, I do think that's a real dynamic. We get motivated by all sorts of things as human beings. And that perception or reality of disrespect, I think, has fueled a lot of guys to be better than maybe they would have been. You guys have been excellent when it comes to compensatory draft picks. I think the Ravens understand and implement the formula as well, if not better, than any team in the NFL. I'm curious about one thing, though, because this year, and I'll just use two guys as an example. You signed Sammy Watkins during the window where that counts toward the compensatory draft pick formula, but... You waited on Alejandro Villanueva. What factors do you look at to decide which guy you'll make a move on, knowing that it's going to affect the compensatory draft pick formula, and which guys will you wait for? Well, I don't want to get too much into this, um, but I do. I want you to. I, I know, but I think what we what we try to do number one is we look at the surplus or we look at the deficit. So, how many players have we signed? How many players have we lost? That gives us an indication of how many comp picks we're going to get. 
Uh, then we look at the type of comp pick that we would expect to get based on the contracts of the players who left. So, you know, we can tell by the range of the average of the salary what that's going to be, what bucket that's going to fall into. Um, and then we, we sort of talk about what we want to preserve and what picks would be worth preserving versus what picks are we comfortable giving away to get a good player. Once you get to that point, then you have to look at preserving those picks and how much money you could spend in a contract and still preserve those picks. And that's, there's a slippery slope there. And there's a fine line there as to what that contract average has to be. And we spend a lot of time talking about that because if you end up spending a certain amount on a, on a contract, then you're going to lose the comp pick. If you understand how the comp picks work and you spend under a specific amount, then you're going to preserve the, 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 the comp picks that you want to preserve at the expense of the comp picks that you really don't care about throwing away. So, you know, I think this is something over time that we've really done a really good job with. In the early days of the comp picks, we were very involved, but we didn't necessarily understand all the nuances. And I think over time, Pat Moriarty, Nick Matteo, Ozzie Newsom, they've done a really, really good job of understanding this complex thing and helping to help us make decisions that work for us. And that, that commitment to maximizing the compensatory draft picks and not undermining the picks you may have available, you know, to put it in terms that the average fan can understand, I sense that the Ravens particularly appreciate the fact that these draft picks ultimately are lottery tickets. Mm -hmm. And the more that you have to scratch off, the greater the chance you're going to get a winner. Yeah, I think many years ago, there was a great article that was written um, it was an economics article and, uh, the authors, their basic premise was that the draft in and of itself is just a luck driven process. Uh, and I, and I believe that, you know, uh, these were two guys at the university of Chicago and they, it was about 50 pages and I couldn't understand a lot of the math, but I understood the basic points, which was the more picks you have, the better chance you're going to have of building a strong team. So, We've always been one of those teams. We've tried to collect as many draft picks as possible, understanding that the draft picks are currency that we can use. And, and the thing is, yes, we have the draft picks to pick, but now we also have the draft picks to move up, to move down, to trade for future year picks. They create an amount of flexibility that we think is beneficial to the club. And that value of waiting for the window to close on the compensatory draft pick formula, that that hinges on the players still being available. And the guy that you signed this year, Alejandro Villanueva, why do you think he was available for as long as he was? I thought he'd have been gone by the time the compensatory draft pick window closed. Yeah, good question. You know, uh, over the years, we've signed some guys uh, after the window. Daryl Smith was another guy a few years ago. I mean, more than a few years ago now, but he was a linebacker for us who was a very good player for us. Uh, just no way of knowing. Uh, sometimes it can be the fact that maybe the agent – has overshot the market possibly in talking to teams. Uh, it could be something like an injury concern. I mean, there's a million different variables that go into that. We brought Allen a few weeks ago, spent some time with him. We were very impressed. And we started negotiations this week after we were not able to get a tackle in the draft. And, um, you know, I think he liked our situation. We liked his situation. We've played against him twice a year, and we felt he was a good fit for the football team. You had to breathe a sigh of relief when the Juwan James injury happened in Denver the same day that you announced the Villanueva signing because with Mike Munchak there, the former offensive line coach in Pittsburgh, I assume the Broncos would have quickly come to the table. 
You know, this in this business, Mike, sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you get unlucky. Uh, you know, I think we had a good plan. Uh, I do think that the fact that we were able to bring in Alan, Alan a few weeks ago and spend some time with him helped in that regard. Uh, I think that, you know, it, there's other factors as well. I, you know, his, his wife's got some family here, I believe. Um, you know, I think Al likes the fact that we're a military town with Annapolis down the road, Navy. Um, it just was a good fit for him and I think a good fit for us and we're excited about it. I don't know if you saw this before the draft, but Bucky Brooks of NFL Media floated a theory, an idea, a possibility that for your quarterback situation, maybe one way to go would be to draft a young guy and as Bucky Brooks termed it, let Lamar Jackson graduate. Is that something that landed on your radar screen and did you have any thoughts about that theory? No, not really. We've got some good young quarterbacks that we like in Trace, McSorley, and, and Huntley. And uh, obviously, Lamar, we look at him as really a, a tremendous person and a, and a great talent and just a guy that we know we can build this team around. So uh, we're very excited about the future. Uh, it's just really great to have a bunch of guys working together on offense that really care. And uh, we're a different offense. We like that. We, we see an opportunity for us in terms of building our offense out and looking at different players that maybe other teams don't like quite as much. Uh, we have a good defense, a good special teams, a great coaching staff, and we think we're in prime position to succeed. You've made it clear that you have every intent of signing Lamar Jackson to a long-term contract and keeping him on the team. The fact that he is up for a deal, at the same time, other quarterbacks from his draft class are up for new deals. Does that complicate the process? Do you sense reluctance that, well, I want to see what the other guy gets before I try to get mine, because then that's my benchmark. Is any of that going on with these three quarterbacks from the class of 2018 who are all in line for new contracts? You know, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we've been in situations like this. We were in a situation like this with Ronnie Stanley and Tunsil and, and Bakhtiari and guys like that. And then we were in a similar situation with Marlon Humphrey and Tredavious White and Jalen Ramsey. And so what I always think to myself is we're going to do the best deal we can for the Ravens. I mean, we certainly will consider other deals and other ways of doing deals and different things, but we're going to negotiate and do the best deal we can for the club. That also makes sense for the player. How does it complicate things for you that Lamar Jackson doesn't have a traditional agent? Uh, you know, it, it, I don't know that it complicates things. If it makes things easier, I'm not really sure. I, you know, I think that the biggest thing is communication for me and Lamar to communicate, you know, we've already done a deal with Lamar. We did a rookie deal with Lamar. Now, obviously it wasn't the same, but we did. We understand some of the complications because we did that prior deal. This is a, a much different deal with a much different structure and things like that. But I think that sometimes having the general manager and the salary cap people talking directly to the player really does improve communication. I mean, what we see sometimes is that we will have conversations with an agent and in some cases the player is not even aware of that um so that won't be the case here i think the transparency will probably be pretty significant that will be pretty good and you know i've uh i hope that you know if lamar has questions he can get the answers i know he has people that he trusts and respects that can help him and advise him uh because this is a big deal and and we want to do it right we want to do something he feels really good about, and we want to do something that we feel really good about as well. 
It would seem to me that sometimes negotiations can become challenging. They can become difficult. Sometimes difficult things need to be said. It's got to be harder if you have to say something difficult directly to the player instead of to a third party that, you know, for example, if there's a concern about the player's skill set, a concern about this, a concern about that, that would knock down the value that is just part of the negotiation ritual. It's got to be harder to say that directly to the player. And I think that's true, Mike. Uh, One thing I've learned as a GM in my short time as a GM is that you'd have to have a lot of difficult conversations with players every single day. Could be about discipline. It could be about social media, a family issue, an on the field issue, an off the field issue. And as a GM, you've got to be able to do that. And if you can't do that, you probably should be doing something else. I have a theory that, you know, we went from a time where every quarterback that played well, well enough to get a second contract, it was almost like the old game where you put your hand on the baseball bat. Each guy goes one higher until you get to the top. I feel like that's changing now that there's going to be tiers for quarterbacks. You're going to have a handful in the 45 million or more range, and then you're going to have other tiers for other levels of quarterback. Do you see it evolving that way? Because I just don't think it's sustainable for every quarterback who comes along. He's good enough that you want to keep him. Yeah. And the benchmark becomes getting more than whoever the highest paid quarterback is. Well, I think that should apply in, in, in all aspects of football. GMs, coaches, players, all players, really. I mean, the best guys should, should be paid the most. And then, you know, you, you can't just expect to be paid more because you're the latest guy. And um, again, that's something that as a, as a GM that you, you have to try to, you know, that point you have to try to make with your players and the, and the club is also obligated to do the best thing for the club based on the other good players on the team under the parameters of the salary cap. So we, we try to build something that we can sustain for a very long time. Other teams have been successful doing that. Some teams haven't, but we want to try to keep all of our good players as best as we can. And sometimes uh, that means that you can't give all the money to certain players and, you know, um, you have to make tough choices. In Lamar's case, we're talking about an MVP. We're talking about a quarterback. Uh, we're talking about one of our very, very best players. Um, we know we've been fortunate to have a quarterback on a rookie deal. That's just part of it, and that's going to change at some point. And when it does, we'll have to make some tough decisions with the roster. Uh, but I would argue that's a good problem to have. You had a great quote from one of your pre-draft press conferences about the receiver position and you said that the receivers on the team are insulted by the perception that the receivers aren't very good, and you're personally insulted by it. And it was great. We played it on one of our shows. We reacted to it. And then you drafted two receivers, one in round one and one in round four. How do we reconcile what you said about the receivers before the draft with the fact that you drafted two more? Well, it was before the draft. You know? <laughs> and, you know, what I would say is like anybody that tries to read too much into what people said before the draft, you know, they're acting foolish. And you know, we're trying to win. Everything we do is based on, does this help our club win? Does this put us in the best position to win? So, yeah, as you know, Mike, you write about it all the time. There's a lot of foolishness being said before the draft, anonymous scouts and things like that. We don't really play that game. But for me to stand up there and, and talk about how we're going to build the team, you know, before the draft is probably not the smartest thing in the world. So uh, what I said really in, in my intentions was that I believe our receivers do want to be the best they do care about that and we believe in those guys um we're still going to build the very best team we can build at any point now before the season during training camp after the season whatever that might be 
there's gamesmanship involved and there's a strategy involved. And for me to go up there and say, we're going to draft a receiver in the first round, that would be foolish. And everybody should understand that. Um, on the other hand, I do believe in our receivers, uh, you know, very strongly. I do believe in those guys. I do believe in Hollywood Brown, Miles Boyk, and Devin DuVernay, James Prochet, Sammy Watkins. We do believe in those guys. Uh, we also believe in Bateman. We also believe in, in Thielen Wallace as well. And we think we've really, you know, strengthened that class of players, and that's going to make us a better offense. How much sleep did you lose the night before you sent Orlando Brown Jr. to the team that Lamar Jackson has called the Ravens kryptonite, the Kansas City Chiefs? You know, that's tough. You know, as you, when you trade a good player, uh, it's tough. When you trade a good player who's a great person, that's tougher. And this was a decision that we made, you know, what we thought was probably best for the Ravens long term and also probably, you know, what the player really wanted. And, and we try to be a team that's going to do what's best for the club, but we also want to accommodate our players if possible. Uh, I've known Orlando since he was a little boy um, because of his father's involvement with this franchise. And Orlando's a guy that does everything the right way. He's tough. He's physical. He's got a high care factor. Um, you know, I would have loved, and I think John would have loved to keep Orlando here long-term. It was going to be very tough with us based on the salary cap, based on the fact that we've got other good players coming up as well. And Orlando wants to be a left tackle. That's a lifelong dream of his. And so, you know, it was hard to trade him. It was probably harder, harder to trade him than the Chiefs, an organization that we respect, a very talented organization, um, a Super Bowl, Super Bowl winning organization. That was a challenge. But again, as a GM, I've got to look at the short term of the franchise and also the long term of the franchise. And for us to get what we did, given the parameters we're under, it seemed like the smart thing to do. Hey, last one for you, and I appreciate you giving me so much time. Schedule comes out Wednesday night, May 12th. What's the first thing you look at when it pops up on your phone? Uh, December. I look at the December games because I know those are going to be critically important, and uh, those can really you know, impact your team. Uh, last year was a great example. Our schedule was very tough at the beginning of the year, and our December schedule was, was, was pretty fortuitous. And um, we ran the table, and that was a great thing for us to get into the playoffs, you know, momentum and all those kind of things. So I think the December games are very, very big. We'll look at the home and aways in December. I'll look at that, and, uh, and we'll see what it looks like. Are you confident there's going to be full stadiums in Baltimore? I, you know, I hope. I'm hopeful. You know, I mean, I, we came out with a statement this, year, this week that we, we, would, we would hope that and expect that. Um, you know, hopefully this country continues to do what it's doing. I think vaccinations will be a big deal. Um, you know, I, I think all that stuff's important. And uh, I, I do hope sincerely that we can have 100% capacity in our stadiums this year. That'd be a great thing for Baltimore, for the city, for the community, for our fans. And we, we really do hope that to be the case. Well, well said, and I appreciate so much some of your time. Congratulations on another draft. Congratulations on 25 years with the Baltimore Ravens. Here's to 25 more, Eric. Thanks. Hey, Mike, one last question. When did you come out to training camp that time? How many years ago was that? Remember that? Man, 2006. I, was that what it was? Yes. Wow. Long time ago. Long time ago. Long, long time ago. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll get back there again sometime soon. I hope for another 25 more for me. 
and I hope for another 25 more for you, and I look forward to talking to you again next time. All right, Mike, take care. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.